Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Go to uh, Scripture in the Psalms, if you would take your Bibles. Let's, let's dive right in. Psalms 84. Psalms 84. We're going to be reading the entire Psalms. It's one of my favorite Psalms. I uh, will read the Psalms multiple times throughout the year just because it is one of my favorite Psalms. And it was just uh, actually this really combined with an initiative I had back here just early into the year, last January. It might have actually been late December, where I was reading from the book of Esther. And I really sensed in my heart, we were to talk about Esther, but at the right time. And I feel the right time is now. And I understand because it was just a couple of weeks ago I was reading Psalms 84. And when I read Psalms 84, it made me think of Esther. And I wanted to marry those two together. So we're going to talk about this in the next few weeks. This early spring, we are going to talk from Psalms 84 being, I guess, my theme text. And then... Next week, a bit more from Esther and the weeks following. So Psalms 84, follow along with me. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My, my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord God, Almighty, my King, my God. Verse 4. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, the word Baca actually means weeping. As they pass through the valley of weeping, they will make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. (coughs) They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. For better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Father, we bow in prayer and ask that you would help us to understand why this was written, the relevance of it today, that Lord, we would understand, maybe we would echo likewise, how lovely is your dwelling place, that we would feel strongly about that, we ask in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. The first couple of verses, uh, actually there's uh, a song. I was uh, just kind of picking away at the song early this morning on the guitar. Uh, song, How Lovely Is Thy Dwelling Place. And there's a song that came out a number of years ago, Don, a Don Moen song of um, How Lovely Is Thy Dwelling Place. And, and it kind of goes through these first particularly two verses. The first two verses, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. You just think of the, um, the challenge of, just slow it, we're going to slow this down. I have to slow this down. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty, as if we could ever understand how lovely it is. I mean, we're talking Lord Almighty, God of the universe, the God of, of everything. And do I assume to understand just how lovely that dwelling place where he is, is? I mean, I, I, so you just think about the words for a second. How could I begin to comprehend the dwelling place of God Almighty? God. Not the God you see on TV when somebody tries to, you know, play God. Not the God of a small imagination. I mean, we will never understand. He's His ways beyond our ways, higher, deeper, right? The Bible says that. So we know we can't fathom His ways. Safe to say? Is that safe to say? In our humanity, we can't fathom God. And yet the psalmist, who was Korah, he was a worship leader, the psalmist would say, how lovely is your... How does he know how lovely it is? I, I struggle with that question because I wanted to put myself there and I go, well, how do you know how lovely his dwelling place is, Cora? Lord Almighty, can any of us, can any of us know? He goes on in verse 2, he says, my soul yearns, and then he, it's like he's grappling for words, even faints. Now, I've seen celebrities on clips where a celebrity goes by and somebody's just so taken with them that it looks like they faint. Okay. <laughs> My soul even faints for the courts of the Lord. If I could get into the courts, if I could get into, into the area that I could see him, my soul yearns. What a picture. Yearns. The psalmist in chapter 42 would say, my soul pants. For the courts of the Lord. It faints for the courts of the Lord. My, my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. I mean, there's, there's a number of things there, isn't there? How lovely is your dwelling place? In other words, God has a place where he dwells. We can gather that. And the next question, I think, begs an answer of all of us. Do you long for that dwelling place? And many of us, if we were honest, would say, not really. You know, I've come to understand that there are many things that vie for our faith, vie for our affection. And so, therefore, it's not uncommon that we wouldn't really long, uh, yearn 
pant, faint for his dwelling place. Probably one of the big reasons is we really don't know what that means, his dwelling place. I started off by saying, could any of us really be naive enough to really think we could comprehend his dwelling place? But having said that, yet there's an invitation to that place and that we would likewise long for it if we began to understand the depth of it. My soul yearns even faints for the courts of the Lord. What does my soul yearn after? I might suggest your soul yearns after where your money flows towards. So where your money flows towards, that's typically where your soul goes. So you check your monthly statements. Okay, usually that's where it goes. Or where you, you get up, when your happy spot at night, you know, when you're trying to, you know, slow down or your happy spot in the morning or whatever that is. Your soul yearns, your soul longs for those things. What does your soul yearn and long for? And might I suggest then, following through with these, that where your soul longs for, you tend to spend time, you gravitate towards, you will navigate, we use that word a lot, towards it. And often it's not, often. It's not the courts of the Lord. As Laurie said earlier, sometimes we get into a ritual, and there's nothing wrong with the ritual and pattern of coming to the house of the Lord to meet, to gather, to worship. But if it's only a ritual, then that does become a problem. When you mention courts, uh, courts here, we think of courts in Canada as uh, you go to court and, because you've been charged with something or you are testifying on behalf of someone else. Usually when we think of courts here in Canada, it's not a pleasant thing. You don't want to go to court. But the courts here is not the judicial court. The court here is the king's court, which means, yes, you do actually want to go to that court. This is a good place to go to. It's the king. It's a kingdom, and you get to be in his courts. You get to be in his presence. So it's a good thing, not a judicial court. It's a king's court that we're referring to, and it's a kingdom term. And then the text here says, my heart and my flesh cry out to the living God. Here's the point. It's not the courts that's the final destination. The courts are a means to get to the king. You follow that? The courts is not the end game. My soul longs for the courts. Whoa, what's so exciting about the courts? The the floor? The pillars? No, the, the reason you want to get into the courts is because now you can get to the king. The king is the end game. The courts are a means to get to the king. So my soul longs for the courts. Why? Because the king's there. If the king's not there, the courts don't mean anything. You following? Oh, God, could we come to the place where we can not only appreciate, but we can, like the psalmist, echo how lovely from one who has experienced his courts? Would you like that? I do. I long to know you. I long to experience you beyond what I am now. That there would be that place where I would even say my soul yearns, pants. I faint for the courts of the Lord that I might see my king. That my king ravishes my heart. Because when that happens, I'm going to suggest virtually everything in life changes. My priorities change. My personality will change. My attitudes will change. I'll become a changed person for the good because I will have been spending time in the courts of the king of the universe who knows me 
and the purpose and origin and future of my life than a way that I can never know. I don't just want to just know about them. I want to dwell there. There's a song that I was thinking, and I was thinking of this this morning, and a song came across again. I was kind of going back into some nostalgic moments. And the song is called, um, I Just Want to Be Where You Are. And it popped into my mind. I just want to be where you are. And you may know it. The words go, I just want to be where you are, dwelling daily in your presence. Anybody know this song? I don't want to worship from afar. Draw me near to where you are. And I play it on my guitar frequently, just my own personal worship, not in front of anybody. But I love this song. Take me to the place where you are because I just want to be with you. I want to be where you are, dwelling in your presence. This is the song. Feasting at your table, surrounded by your glory, in your presence. That's where I always want to be. Now, I don't want to visit. I want a habitat. I always want to be. I just want to be. I just want to be. It repeats itself. I just want to be with you. I just want to be where you are. And so I thought of Esther. Esther, the story of Esther. She's a young Jewish peasant girl, orphaned from her immediate family, taken to be paraded before royalty. She would win over the heart of the king in a matter of one year. In one year, she won the heart. She went from the bottom to the top. And in one year, she won the heart of the king. Esther is a picture of Psalms 84, if you ask me. It's a picture of the loveliness of the courts of the king and the progression to get to his heart. Esther gets it. The story of Esther, although it's primarily a story of the Purim, the story celebrated in Jewish, still in, in, amongst the Jewish community of deliverance, how God delivers us from our enemies. But Esther is a story you read through the early chapters. You will watch the progression of this peasant moving and preparing. It didn't happen overnight. It took a year to get ready to meet the king. And oh, she won his heart. She won the heart of the greatest king who lived at that time. And that story unwraps, I believe, to understand what the heart of the king is about. It's not simply a story. The book of Esther, I think, is also a handbook on worship. How do I prepare to meet the king of kings? Because there's not a natural union. I'm very different than the king of kings. So are you. That's why how lovely is thy dwelling place doesn't make sense when we first look at it. So Esther's story reveals eternal wisdom about our own future and our destiny. To go, you and I, from our present state, wherever that is, into royalty with the king of the universe. How can it be? The story of Esther reveals the way God overcomes human weaknesses and our failures and elevates our position and rank all the way to the throne room. How does he do it? It was one year ago. Actually, it was about 15 months ago, 14 months ago. I did a series, and someone may, may remember the series. It was a series on the tabernacle. You remember the series? Some who were. And I did a series on the tabernacle, seven steps to the to get behind the veil, to get into the Holy of Holies. Three courts, and they were called the courts of the Lord. The Lord, outer court, inner court, 
and the Holy of Holies. Outer court is where most people dwell. It's safe there. It's the place simply of thanksgiving. You move to the inner court, and it's a place where your soul needs transformation because then after only having completed the process, do we find ourselves standing before the Shekinah glory of our God. And there we are changed in the image of our King. And there is a progression. We talked to that about 14 months ago in the series. Today I want to talk and I want to begin to prepare us for the story of Esther. So here's the invitation. You got homework today. So here's the homework this week. Are you ready? Homework, very simple. I think you'll enjoy it. Homework, are you ready? Say, Pastor, give me homework. Nobody said that. Okay, my wife said it. Nobody said, Pastor, nobody wants homework. Why don't we want homework? Okay, I'm going to give it to you anyway. Here's the homework. Should you take it, I think you're just, it's going to enrich you. This week, would you read the story of Esther? That's all it is. Slowly. Okay, don't do it when you're falling asleep. Pick your best time. Read. It's 10 chapters. It's a good read. It's not a hard read. If you want to read it all at once, give yourself, if you're a relatively quick leader, you, reader, you can probably do it an hour. Um, they're not long chapters. Or give yourself between an hour to two hours. If you want to do the whole story, make sure you get the whole story, though. And 10 chapters, can you do that this week? I, you say, well, I've already read it. Read it again, because I want to talk about it next week. I'm going to start early, Esther. I want it fresh in your mind, because it's a picture of Psalms 84. How lovely are your dwelling places. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. How do we get and grasp that? Esther's going to be our story of showing us how to go from peasant into the inner courts of the king. It's going to be a beautiful story. So what I need to do today, because it's really your story, it's my story, the scripture talks about that, that our righteousness is like filthy rags. We carry, the Bible says, Paul says, I carry the aroma of this world and it smells like death. That's us. So we're going to talk today of the courts of the kingdom. We want to start because the kingdom, conversation about the kingdom is a very foreign conversation to most people here in Canada. So to understand the principles when, and if you read through the gospel of Matthew, over and over, Jesus, when he would give illustrations, he would say, the kingdom of God is like. And he would give. Now, back then, 2,000 years ago, they understood kingdoms. We are much more removed from even understanding anything about kingdoms. So today, let me take a moment. I wanted today to feed into where we're going to start and launch next week with the story of Esther about what kingdoms are about. What is a king about? Because a kingdom is the domain of a king. So the focus is not the kingdom. The focus, again, comes back to the king. So let's start with the courts of the king, because that's where Psalms 84 was. How lovely is thy dwelling place. My soul yearns, faints for the courts of the Lord. What's the court of a king? Well, Matthew, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What were the things? The things were not your wants, because if you go back prior to that, your needs. That which you require, we need food, 
We need finances. We need money in order to buy clothes, in order to have a home to live in, in order to provide for our families, in order to provide for our future, the things we need. So here he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and your needs will be provided for you. God's priority system can be summed up, seek, go after it, his kingdom first. So the priority is God's kingdom. Seek God and your needs will follow. In our present world, empires, emperors, kings, magistrates, dictators, I mean, there's been a lot of evil in those who've carried those positions. In many minds, when you mention king or queen, it's not a pretty picture. It's a picture of dominance, of excessive rule, and sometimes just pure wickedness and evil. But you know, even in socialism, which Canada is largely, and in democracy, although democracy can be a slow grind towards evil where kings can be very quick and queens, there are many pitfalls. Democracy is very different than a kingdom, and we are a democratic society. Democracy has its roots in the Greeks. The Greeks, the rule of democracy is the rule of the people. So we live in a land here, Canada is the rule of the people. And just this dictatorship where you have a person dictating, dictatorship has many problems with the rulership, and they do. Democracy, likewise, has many shortfalls as well. Because, listen, because our nation's morality, values, and standards for law are at the whim of a vote. Truth is determined by how many vote for something. So it's fluid. It will change. You see, our laws have changed, changing all the time, depending on government. And so therefore, and that is our values. That becomes our morality. What is right and what is wrong? So what is right and what is wrong is not dictated by laws. It's not even dictated by democracy, the shortfall of, again, democracy. If the power of democracy is in the people, which it is, then we, the people, become the sovereign rule. We are sovereign rule. Sovereign rule of the people is called humanism. You can look it up. Definition of humanism is a man, woman, become his own measure of morality and judgment. We measure morality, good, bad, right, wrong, truth, lie, by ourselves. So it goes back to the book of Judges. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. We determine our value system by a vote. We're at the mercy of votes, which usually becomes the mercy of great persuasion, propaganda, doctrination, and appeal. If you get the minds of the children, you'll get the minds of a nation. So indoctrinate them young. Well, as we can testify now in our nation, uh, when you leave God out, worship takes a hit. What do we now worship? 
God's design and original intent was we would worship the creator. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, Jesus would say, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. I mean, it seems harsh. So if Jesus is Lord, he says, if I'm Lord, then Lord means master, king first. Priority. Above all things. Loyalty. So let's talk here about the marks of a king. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. And the Bible says, for this he was born. I want to establish a few things regarding our king of kings and our lord of lords. Let's talk about what a king is and what a king isn't. Because he's always referenced to as a king, lord, master, almighty. So, some things about a king, because this is maybe fairly foreign to our democracy, our nation of Canada. Number one, a king is never voted into power. His power, her power, is inherent from birth. You can think of that of our monarch in Britain. Passed down to the next generation. Not voted. You're born into it. The king is king because they're born into kingdom. So the king is never voted into power. And because of that point, number two is, a king cannot be voted out of power. Because the kingdom is theirs by birth. They rule for life, or they can pass it on. But they cannot be voted out because they weren't voted in. God cannot be dethroned. We have tried for millennials to dethrone God. He is king. He cannot be, you can't vote him out. Democracy can't say God doesn't exist. It cannot determine an atheistic people by rule. He was king before the world began. He'll be king after this blue planet disappears. He will continue to be king. Thirdly, a king's authority is absolute. Prime ministers, presidents must consult. But a king's words are binding. Psalms 19, I like the words of this because it talks of the words of a king, the, the words of our Lord. Psalms 19, verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinance of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. Did you get that? The laws of the Lord, the statutes, the commands, the fear of the Lord, the ordinance of the Lord. These are perfect and altogether lovely. Next, a king's personality, or no, I should say a king personally owns everything in his domain. Psalms 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. The king owns everything in the domain. Fifthly, a king's decree is unchanging. In a democratic system, laws are amended and revoked constantly. But once a king issues a decree, it cannot be changed even by them. A king issues a decree, 
the decree stands. You're going to read that. When you read the book of Esther, you're going to see a decree issued. It stands. If you read the book of Daniel, you'll see the same thing happen. A decree was given. It was a silly decree. It stood. You'll read in Saul, King Saul, the king before David. He issued a stupid decree, and he could not revoke his decree. When a king issues a decree, it's binding. Where in a democracy, it changes with the new person in place. Number six, a king chooses who will be a citizen. People do not vote for the king. But in essence, a king votes for his people. A king determines who he wants for his people. But we can't determine who we want for the king. Jesus spoke this truth to his closest followers in John chapter 15. Jesus said, you did not choose me, I chose you. And actually, what an endearing thing to know he has chosen me. I chose you. Seven, a king embodies the government of his kingdom. This means that wherever a king is, his government, all of his government. The king is here, all his government is there. He embodies his government. Not a representative, he embodies the government. Whenever a king speaks, the government has just spoken. Now this makes sense when Jesus in Matthew chapter 18 verse 19 says, where two or three come together in my name, in other words, under the seal of the king, where two or three gather in my name, I'm there. Why? You embody my presence, all my governance in you. We read in Matthew 28, 19, where he says, Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. How can we do that? Because when we go in his name, we embody the king. He is there. You and I carry the kingdom of heaven where we go because the kingdom of heaven is in our hearts as we live as citizens, not of this world. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. We're for the world. We are citizens the kingdom of heaven. We live here, but our citizenship is there. And so we proclaim Christ where we go. Isn't that cool? Matthew, eight, Matthew chapter 19, 18, now this makes sense. He says, I tell you the truth. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Why? How do we have that kind of power? Isn't that crazy kind of power? You bind on earth is bound in heaven. Loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Because the kingdom dwells in you. Christ in you. And therefore, all his governance flows out of that. That's how come we're able to do that. It's not a pipe dream. It's not a phraseology that doesn't actually come to pass. He says, I've given you this, whatever. He says, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. I'm not lying. Number eight, a king's wealth is measured by his property. So why, do, why did the kings, medieval kings, fight all the time? I mean, they're fighting all the time. We've seen movies. We've read stories. We've studied it maybe. Why were they always fighting? Because a king's wealth was determined in the land mass and number of people that were under him. That's how it was determined. So the bigger, the wealthier you were. So they fought all the time to take back territory. That's what they did. A king's wealth is measured by his property. So the larger and richer your resources, the greater your kingdom is, the wealthier the king, because the king owns everything in the kingdom. Why was wealth so important? Why did they fight for it? So the king could take care of his citizens. So the people wanted a big kingdom, because if you had a big kingdom, you're going to get looked after. 
If your kingdom was small and insignificant, you wouldn't have enough to live on, nor would your children. You had a poor future in front of you. So therefore, you wanted a big kingdom. You wanted your king to own much because now he provides for you. Bit selfish, yes. But now we understand that we are part of the kingdom of heaven he makes reference to. And our king, Paul will say in Ephesians, he is more than enough. He is more than enough. Now it makes sense. He's more than enough. How do we know he's more than enough? Well, he owns everything. So when he says, I, I can provide everything. Well, he can actually. And number nine, a king's name is the essence of his authority. A king can delegate authority to anyone he pleases to act on his name or on his behalf. And that is why we pray in the name of Jesus. Why? He's given us authority in his name. It's not J-E-S-U-S. It's the authority of the king. And because I'm under the authority of the king, therefore, I operate in that domain according to his will and his pleasure. So the king is very unique from our democracy. Some things maybe you heard and just think, yeah, I've never really thought of that because if we've been only ever familiar with democratic system, then we probably will not grasp the significance of a kingdom system. And that kingdom system is interesting because if we're to dwell in the courts of a king, then it's not simply the courts of a prime minister or a president or a state official or a senator. It's in the courts of the king of kings. The significance of that is huge. If I don't grasp what a king is, I will never grasp the fullness of the loveliness and the awesomeness of his presence. Well, there's some things he continues. I was reading earlier, Matthew chapter 16. I want to read verse 18 and 19. I think this is up in front of you. Matthew chapter 16. Jesus says, and I tell you, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Note the word church. Hold on to that. And the gates of hell will not, gates of Haiti will not overcome it, the gates of hell. Verse 19, I will give you, he's talking to the church, those who are followers of Jesus. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Keys, multiplicity, plural. Keys of the kingdom of heaven, single kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now go back up to the word. I want you to hold the word church. He says, I will build my church. The word church is the actual Greek word, ecclesia. I will build, he says here, I will build my ecclesia. Now what's ecclesia? Ecclesia was like a cabinet. So today in our democratic society, in our House of Commons Parliament, there's cabinets. I will build my cabinet, he says. So follow that text, verse 18. On this rock, the rock of Christ, I will build my, I will build a cabinet. It's like a senate. It's the powerhouse. These individuals, this ecclesia, were handpicked by the king, the emperor, to receive his thoughts, his desires, his passion, and his intent. So the picture that Jesus was saying, I will build my ecclesia who are handpicked, who receive my thoughts, my desires, my passion, my intent. Their job, the ecclesia, the church, us, the church. Their job is to take the mind of the king and turn it into legislation that can be implemented for the kingdom. Take the wishes of the king and implement it. 
the wishes of the king. Implement it. Following? Ecclesia. I will build my ecclesia. I will build a senate. He's building a senate. I look across here. It's quite a senate he's got going on here in a cornerstone church. He will build his senate. He will build his ecclesia, his church. What's the church? Not a building brick and mortar. It's not the cafe. It's not the parking lot. It's not the platform. It's not the program. It's that we fulfill the wishes and intents of the king. The ecclesia, the senate, the, the council. We will take the mind of the king, implement it. That we, our job, the ecclesia's job, is to know the mind of the king and make sure his wishes get carried out. This meant that those in the ecclesia had to stay in close contact to him. Because if you don't know the king, then you're not knowing his intent. And if you don't know his intent, then you're not implementing what he wants. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Now, remember our text, Psalms 84? How lovely are thy dwelling places. My soul longs, yearns, even pants, faints, for the courts of him, almighty. So as we get to know him, as we seek him, as we truly draw near to him, then he downloads his heart, his intents, his plans, his passion, and then that flows out of us. We implement that on earth where Jesus would pray, your will be done on earth. What's that? The will of the ecclesia of the king on earth as it is in heaven. That means the ecclesia has to talk to him. We have to hang with him. We have to know him like Nobody's business. So that he can download his information about his kingdom. Listen, as kingdom citizens, if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, you are already in the kingdom. You don't have to get in there. Automatic, when the Holy Spirit lives in you, you are in the kingdom. You don't need keys to get there. He given you that. What you do need, what I need though, and this is what Jesus has given, are the keys of the kingdom, the keys that unlock the power that make it work. So it's ours, but we have to know how it works. And that's why this text is so important. How lovely. Because we will never appreciate it if we don't understand the place of the king and the place of his ecclesia and that the heart is to know his heart. And that doesn't happen automatically. There is a process to know him, the seeking to know him, to enter into his course. That's why the psalmist would say, better is one day to be there before the heart of the king than to spend a thousand in the best places you want. Better is one day there. So I pursue that day. I pursue that I might know him. I pursue that I might grasp his heart and his mind as an intent. Oh, that I would know him. The greatest thing that will ever happen. Therefore, seek ye first the kingdom. Seek first the king, the king, and then the things of life fall into place. But if we seek life along equal with the king, then life will simply be a matter of misses and hits along the way. Hmm. So let me just share the five principles of discovering the keys. First, keys. Just think about keys. Um, I left my keys on the front seat here so they wouldn't jangle off my, uh, I usually clip them. Keys, you think about keys. 
He said, we go back to this text. Can I just read this text again? We were reading earlier. He says, I tell you, on this rock, I will build my ecclesia, the Senate. Gates of hell will not, cannot, it's powerful. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I will give you the keys. So what does that mean, giving you the keys? Well, five things. Number one, keys represent authority. Think about that. If you possess a key, you have the authority to use it at its location, don't you? Um, your boss gives you the keys to the store. That means he trusts you to open the store and close it. He trusts you with the store. You have access to something with whatever keys you have. You have keys to your house. You have authority to go in and out. Some of you, if you're like me, you have a, a code. You punch in the code. Same deal. You have to have the combination. Gives you authority. Some have it, some don't. Gives you authority. It's the keys to the home. Keys to your car. You came here with whatever vehicle was. You have authority for your car. Now, the person next to you doesn't. But you do because they're your keys. Now, we have a lot of keys here. But your keys are specific to something. And to what that something is, is your authority. Jesus is saying, I am giving you heavenly authority by handing you keys. Hmm. Secondly, keys represent access. Not simply do you have authority, but you actually can get in. You don't simply have a right to it. You can actually do it. You can actually get inside. The keys give you access to everything that key opens. The secret is in knowing what it opens. Pointless to have a key if you don't know. <laughs> and I've got some. Have you had that problem? We usually have this problem after we move. We go to a new place. And then we're pulling out keys, and we're going, what does this open? And then we go through the whole process of going through a pile of stuff, trying to figure out, what does this key open? And after a while, we, we hesitate to throw it out, because as soon as you throw it out, right, you're going to come across something that you need to open, and you realize, that must have been the key. So the key is specific to something. If you have a key to your mailbox, you can't just open any mailbox. It's your mailbox. Key to your car, you can go to the other cars, you won't get in. It's your car. Key to your house. You can't go to your neighbors and try. You're not going to get in. It's your house. The key gives you access to something very specific. So key gives you access to everything that key opens. The secret is knowing what the key opens. And it is here. We limit ourselves. Psalms 84. Let me read it again. Verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Now follow this, verse 3. Even the sparrow has found a home. One specific place. The swallow, a nest for herself. For she may have her young. She's not going to have her young. She's not going to build a nest and have her young in another one. A nest for herself. A place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King, my God, blessed are those who dwell in, not other houses, there's one house, your house. They will ever praise you. Keys represent access. Your keys, remember we're the Ecclesia, we've been given the key. Keys represent ownership. Jesus said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Therefore, don't judge your life by what's going on through present circumstances, but what you see in faith and what he's promised. Judge your life by that. You have ownership to that. 
Fourthly, the keys represent control. If you possess a key to something, you control it. You control when it opens, when it closes, and who gets access. You control it. Represents control. And lastly, keys represent freedom. When you have keys, you're free to go in and out. You don't have to ask. Go in and out. You own the keys. You have the keys. You're free to unlock. You're free to lock. Open. You're free to close. And you know, when I read about the life of Jesus in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I never cease to be amazed at how carefree Jesus moves about. Just, the, he's so calm. He's so in control of, you know, storms on the water. He's so calm and in control. When people are trying to kill him, he's so in control. When there's chaos and they're hungry and they're coming in and trying to pin them to the wall, he's so calm and in control. When they're freaking out at a party because they don't have enough wine, he's so strong and in control. I always am amazed at how Jesus is so casual. He moves about so carefree, so calm. Why? Simply, he has the keys of authority. He has the keys of access. He has the keys of ownership. He has the keys of control to freedom. And he says, and I give it to you. Hallelujah. He's given you the keys. So Psalms 84, verse 1. Let's read it again. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. Oh, may it be enriched into our heart. My soul yearns, faints for the courts of the Lord. It's not the courts that excite me. It's simply because when I get to the courts of the Lord, I can now see him. I'm getting close. My heart and my flesh cry out to the living God. And then down to verse 10. So better is one day, better is one day in your courts than a thousand, pick your place, a thousand anywhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God because it gets me close then dwell in the beautiful tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield, and he bestows favor and honor. Here it is. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. And so the psalmist closes. He says, Lord Almighty. I'm going to put Lord my King. Blessed is the one who trusts in you. If you're here this morning and you have not surrendered your life to his kingship, do it today. Do it today. And enter into the journey, having been given the keys that he gives to every follower of Christ. Open your heart. Confess your sins. Receive his forgiveness. Accept his kingship. And then enter into the journey. We're going to go deeper into this. I want to talk. We're going to use Esther next week because she is a wonderful example of someone who understood what it was to go from the bottom and to discover the heart of the king. That's what God wants for us. So Father in heaven, I'm going to invite the worship team to come. Father in heaven, God help us to appreciate. Help us, oh God, to receive this. Not as another scripture, but that, Lord, this becomes, a, this becomes a, a, a tethering point of our hearts and our lives. That, Lord, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God Almighty, 
that, Lord, we would know you. We as your senate, we as your ecclesia, we would take the heart desire of our king because we know you, because we've drawn near to you. We've moved through the courts of the king into the dwelling place of the Almighty. And there we dwell. We don't visit. We don't go one hour or two hours on a Sunday. But God, our hearts long to be there. Lord, I pray that as we leave this place today, there's a yearning of our own heart. God, is it true that I can actually dwell in the place, in the courts? of the King of Kings. You said it's possible. Your invitation was to come. Come into the King's chambers. Come into where my heart will be revealed to you. So God, I pray not one person here, whether young or old, will say that's not for me. But that God, there will be a yearning of our own heart, a longing of our own heart. Oh God, help me. And there's things I gotta say no to when I begin to appreciate what it means to be in the courts of the King of Kings, that God is not simply a, an unruly, wicked dictator. It's the God who created me and loved me so much that he has given me life and life eternal. And now the invitation has come into my courts and I will give you, I will give you access to everything of the kingdom if you know my heart, if you know my heart. God, that means answers to prayer. That means we will see things done in the impossible realm. That means, God, we will live not by what we see, but what we believe. We will live by your promises and not what someone else tells us. That, Lord, we live according to the king's plans. Because you're able. You're more than able to do abundantly and above what we can ask or imagine. So, Lord, how lovely indeed, how lovely indeed is the dwelling place of your courts. God, may we... May all of us, I pray for all of us, those who are live streaming, I pray for all of us that, God, we would be able to say, better is one day. Better is the day in the courts of our God. Having dwelt with Him, worshiped with Him, spent time with Him, that we long to get back there than anything this world will ever offer because this world is passing, fading away. But yours will last for eternity. Better is one day than a thousand elsewhere. God, I pray that we would embrace that. So God, do a work, do a deep work in our hearts. For those that seek you, God, you said we would find you in that dwelling place, the secret of the secret place. I pray in Jesus' name. And if that's your prayer too, would you say amen? for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.